Women on the Line acknowledges that this program is produced and presented on the land of the Rwandri people of the Kulin Nations and that their sovereignty was never ceded. We acknowledge their elders past and present as well as the traditional owners of the land on which you're hearing us from. Welcome to Women on the Line, a community radio national feminist current affairs program featuring the voices of women and gender diverse people. Produced at 3CR Community Radio in Nam, Melbourne, and broadcast on the Community Radio Network. I'm your host, Fung Tran. This week, we hear from Alejandra Munoz, Project Officer at Dutch Peace Organization PAX, where she has been involved in PAX's work around nuclear disarmament since June 2021. Alejandra is currently leading the Don't Bank on the Bomb research, a joint project by PAX and ICANN, the international campaign to abolish nuclear weapons. Alejandra spoke to me about their latest report, Moving Away from Mass Destruction, and the role that financial institutions play in the anti-nuclear weapons movement. Later in the show, we hear from Emma, a primary school teacher based in Nam, Melbourne. I interviewed Emma about the increased militarization of the school curriculum and the involvement of nuclear weapons companies in these programs. First up, here is my interview with Alejandra Munoz. This was first aired on Tuesday, 12th of September, 2023 on 3CR Breakfast. Alejandra, thank you for joining us here on 3CR. Could you start by talking to us about the work you do at PAX, as well as your involvement in this report? Absolutely. And thank you so much for having me on the show. So um, PAX is uh, a peace organization. Uh, we are the largest peace organization uh, in the Netherlands, and, and we're active on a wide range of issues, including the issue of nuclear disarmament. We also uh, try to make the, the, the topic more visible to the public, and we also engage other relevant players in the larger movements against, uh, against nuclear weapons. And so uh, in this sense, we uh, actively engage with the financial sector, and uh, we do this through uh, our Don't Bank on the Bond reports, which, which is a joint project between uh, PAX and the International Campaign to Abolish Nuclear Weapons, or ICANN. And uh, we are also, as PAX, we're also a steering member of, of ICANN. Thank you for that. So talking about the report, the latest version called Moving Away from Mass Destruction, 109 Exclusions of Nuclear Weapon Producers, profiles financial institutions with policies that restrict or completely exclude investments in the companies involved in nuclear weapon productions. Why is it, Alejandra, um, why is it so important to profile these financial institutions and what role can the financial sector play in bringing about positive change in this area? Well, as I mentioned, we are... uh also more generally involved in the topic of nuclear disarmament. But the reason we uh, focus so heavily on the financial sector as well is because they play uh, a key role in, in the bigger picture, but also can uh, can bring about positive change. Of course, it's uh, nuclear armed countries that possess nuclear weapons, but the governments often rely on private contractors to uh, further build, build on and expand their nuclear arsenals. So there's companies like Boeing, General Dynamics, Northrop Grumman, that really spent uh, millions of dollars on lobbying efforts to 
securities uh, state-issued contracts. And in order to bid on these contracts, they do need to raise capital. And that's where uh, investors come in. And so uh, in that sense, financial institutions that continue to seek profits from the nuclear weapon industry uh, by making money available to these companies are, in fact, enabling the continued involvement of these companies in the development and production of nuclear weapons. But as I mentioned, this also means that that the financial sector has leverage and that this leverage can be used to bring about positive change. And so the more financial sector actors, banks, pension funds, asset managers and other financial institutions, the more they decide to end financial relations with companies due to their involvement in the nuclear weapon industry, the less attractive it will become for those companies to uh, to continue their involvement in this industry. And this can be effective. So in this sense, we can see that there's this emerging norm against nuclear weapons is growing stronger and stronger, which has an impact within the financial community itself, but that that in turn can also positively, positively affect the behavior of companies or the scope of activities of some of the companies that produce these weapons. And so in the report, there is a long list of financial companies listed under either the Hall of Fame banner or as runners-up. Um, so I was wondering if you could tell our listeners what each of these titles mean. Uh, yes, absolutely. So uh, as you already mentioned, the, the report highlights 109 financial institutions that either restrict or completely prohibit investments in the companies that produce nuclear weapons. And um, and th- this, these are financial institutions worldwide. So um, they're based in countries, yeah, m- many different countries, including Australia, also New Zealand, uh, the Netherlands, Belgium, United States, Japan, Mexico, and, and Switzerland. Uh, of those financial institutions included in our reports, we identified 55 with really good policies, meaning they're the best of the best. And under no circumstances does their policy allow for any investments or financial relations with with nuclear weapon producing companies. And we also check to make sure that in practice, they are indeed implementing this policy and that uh, no investments are found by these uh, institutions in the nuclear weapon industry. So for example, we have also Australian institutions in there. We're seeing uh, several Australian uh, superannuation funds that are doing very well in this respect. They're active super Australian ethical Crescent Wealth, Future Super, and Verve Super. And their policies really clearly and comprehensively exclude any form of financing nuclear weapon producers. And so that, that's why they're listed in the Hall of Fame. Uh, in our Hall of Fame are also listed Bank of Australia and Investment Manager U Ethical. Um, so we view that as, as very positive. Now we also, uh, have, as you mentioned, we also have a runners-up uh, section. Uh, and in this category, we have 54 financial institutions, and they do have policies that restrict investments in, in nuclear weapon producers. But these policies uh, still contain one or more loopholes that would, uh, yeah, that still allow for exceptions to their exclusion policy. So, in other words, in some cases, they may still invest in nuclear weapon producers. That doesn't mean that in practice this is always the case. But our policy, in principle, would still allow for that. And this is quite a broad category. Um, so we have institutions in there that are really close to being in the Hall of Fame. And then we have others in there uh, that yeah, would still 
still uh, make considerable sums of money available to uh, the nuclear weapon industry. So for example, one exception that we sometimes hear is that uh, a bank, for example, will say, well, we recognize the indiscriminate nature of nuclear weapons. Uh, we recognize the harm they cause. We see them as controversial and therefore we won't invest in them. But we make an exception for uh, companies that are contributing to the nuclear arsenals of NATO states. So companies that's, that contribute to the nuclear forces of uh, the UK, the US and France. So really quite a big however. And so ICANN and PACS have been working together to produce these reports for a decade now. Have you noticed any trends, you know, within these 10 years in terms of financial companies divesting from nuclear weapons companies? Uh, yes, we have uh, luckily seen a positive trend there. And I think that's also one of the reasons why I believe it's important that we uh, carry out the research that we do, uh, that it allows us to also compare our findings uh, throughout the years and, and look at trends. And so, um, yeah, so as you mentioned, we've been publishing these reports for about a decade now. And uh, what we're seeing over the years is that the lists or the, the, the number of financial institutions included in our reports has grown steadily over time. So we started uh, in 2014 with uh, 35 institutions profiled and, and now we're at 109. So we're, we're very happy with that. And uh, what we're also seeing, or we're seeing the, the biggest increase here uh, after the UN Treaty on the Prohibition of Nuclear Weapons entered into force in uh, 2021. So it very much appears that this that the entry into force of this treaty, which significantly strengthens the, the, the already growing norm against nuclear weapons and through international law, uh, that that also has had its strong impact on uh, on the behavior of the financial sector. And we're also seeing many uh, financial institutions that uh, explicitly cites the treaty in their policies or have sometimes in other ways publicly expressed their support for the treaty. And what's interesting is that this is often the case with financial institutions that are based in countries that have themselves not yet joined the treaty. So these are, for example, uh, yeah, institutions in, in, in the Netherlands, in Belgium, Norway, Sweden, Australia also, that in this sense are ahead of their own governments and leading the way in, in, in reinforcing the stigma that's uh, on nuclear weapons and reinforcing this message that these weapons are unacceptable. It seems like at the moment as well, it seems like such a crucial time to be divesting from nuclear weapons and, and the companies, you know, in light of Ukraine, also in light of the latest AUKUS deal um, in Australia as well. There's lots of work being done here to divest from, from nuclear weapons on a larger scale and also, you know, when it comes to these weapon companies involving themselves in schools, for example. So can you just talk briefly about, um, I guess, the importance of, of having these conversations and doing this work right now at this moment? Yes, uh, yes, definitely. So as, as Pax, we, uh, we advocate for worlds free of nuclear weapons and Part of that work is strengthening the stigma on these weapons. And there's, as I mentioned, there's so many relevant players here that uh, have a role in this movement. So there's, uh, there's of course, states, but also municipalities, parliamentarians, academics, medical professional, professionals, uh, civil society, of course. 
Uh, and we also see the uh, the financial community as an important actor here to to further reinforce this international norm. So uh, our engagement with with the financial sector is we do not see that as the only strategy or as an isolated strategy, but rather as something that is part of of a larger movement with with a wide range of stakeholders. And when it comes to the world's continuous reliance on nuclear weapons, of course, the companies that contribute to their production play a key role. And is their behavior, uh, among others, we're trying to influence through our engagements uh, with the financial sector. And, and of course, yeah, we've also uh, closely followed developments, uh, especially since the invasion of Ukraine, multiple threats from Russia to use nuclear weapons, uh, the stationing of, of Russian nuclear weapons on the territory of, of Belarus, which we consider to be a, a dangerous and escalatory move that should be condemned and has been condemned. But where uh, we're also seeing and we're critical towards how how NATO states fail to acknowledge their own role and responsibility in nuclear sharing activities, uh, and so the the stationing of U.S. nuclear weapons on European territory, and how how this also contributes to rising tensions. So um, yeah, to us, especially uh, this this recent context only uh, only illustrates how. How dangerous it is to to continue to rely on nuclear weapons for our security and to continue to rely on this notion that you know accidents or misinterpretations won't happen and and that world leaders will always act rational but we've also seen some some positive movement here luckily uh, we we keep encouraging states to to condemn any threats to use nuclear weapons under all circumstances and we have see, seen some of them including at the highest levels but of course, we uh, yeah we hope we hope states will uh, will start taking some meaningful steps towards disarmament. For any listeners who are concerned about this and they want to either find out more information about their own financial institution or perhaps they want to raise this issue with their financial financial institution and hold them to account, are there any steps that you would recommend? I would recommend to start a dialogue with them. So uh, we have a website. Uh, it's a Don't Bank on the Bomb website. And well, the, these financial institutions are named in our reports. I would say have a look, have a look at the most recent reports. Our research consists of two components. So the, the report we just spoke about puts a spotlight on um, those financial institutions that seek to move away from the nuclear weapon industry and have, as we discussed, have these policies against such investments. But we also publish uh, another report which came out in December last year where we analyze and describe the activities of the companies uh, heavily involved in the nuclear weapon industry and uh, also provide an overview of uh, the financial institutions that still invest in these companies. So I would recommend to have a look at both reports. Uh, see if your institution is on there. See if your bank or pension funds on there. Uh, congratulate them if they're in the Hall of Fame. If it's not the case, encourage them to do better. And it's really, it really helps because many of the financial institutions with good policy, with, with, that have good policies, uh, that's been a result of, of long-term engagement. And many have changed their policies for the better because their customers ask them to do so. So it's, it's definitely encouraged. Across these stolen lands now called Australia, you're listening to Women on the Line highlighting a range of gender non-conforming and women voices broadcast on the community radio network. We just heard from Alejandra Munoz from PAX, 
speaking about the role that the financial sector can play in the disarmament of nuclear weapons. We're now going to hear from Emma, who spoke to me on 3CR Breakfast about teachers standing against the military agenda in the school curriculum. This discussion first aired on Tuesday, 5th of September, 2023. So I'm a primary school teacher, and but I am kind of aware of programs that have been introduced interstate and in Victoria. And the most recent one that really came to light and was quite is, is really alarming is this nuclear propulsion STEM challenge that is pitched at high schools, nuclear submarine propulsion, sorry, I should say. And that, I guess, seemed like just a really direct example of a fairly recent still like federal government policy actually just immediately being uh, promoted within schools and also like this sense of recruitment of young people into developing skills to prepare them, yeah, for designing apparatus that would be a part of a more like militarised future. So I think uh, there have been, I'm aware there have been different programs running, particularly in South Australia, there's some subs in school programs that I've spoken to teachers were concerned about there. But I think there have been things like particularly, it comes up particularly in the STEM type learning, so which is stands for science, technology, engineering and maths. And it just, it seems that those areas where the money is almost or where the new and exciting programs are coming from are often can be coupled with either weapons companies or defence departments. So that submarine challenge is actually by the Federal Defence Department. But there's another um, competition or, or sort of um, program I'm aware of at the moment called Beacon, and that's actually a collaboration between BAE Systems, a weapons company, and schools, and that's primary schools. And I think what seems particularly insidious about that program is also that it really markets itself as for lower socioeconomic schools and basically providing them with resources and opportunities that they wouldn't otherwise have. So it just also taps into that sense of underfunded public schools and if you want to do these STEM subjects, there's almost, yeah, that it's being offered by the weapons companies who have all the money. And I think I think it's also interesting to some, like designing the submarines are really explicit, it's quite clear, that um, what's in, that it's connected to defence or actually those submarines are a part of attack. But also there are others which are more like a Lego, I can't think of the specific details, but more like a Le- Lego contest, but it's actually funded by, there's that coupling with the weapons company and I think we also need to be really strong in opposing those initiatives because I think just where the money is coming from, inevitably there is a bias and agenda and I don't think it's suitable to have that coming from weapons companies for young people in our schools. Yeah, definitely. I think the the key word there being insidious, it does seem really dark that this is uh, what's happening in schools, especially when you've got programs like you've described before that aren't very explicit about their objectives or the relationship 
between the funding and these big weapons companies because you never really know what their aim is or what their objective is by engaging these children. And um, at times they're quite young, right? It's not just high school students. Yeah, and I think in the way that, you know, we think about our responsibility as educators, it is, you know, in the way that I know um, we are guided by, for example, the Victorian Education Department has restrictions on coupling with tobacco companies or alcohol companies or also like weapon, sorry, the manufacturing of arms. But it really seems that in general this um, creep of defence under the under the banner of innovation, that word gets used a lot, I would say is bringing in an agenda that, you know, is about war um, and is not that removed from designing a gun, but it's not really properly being examined or critiqued. And that's why there's, yeah, some educators and teachers who are really concerned about that and um, are starting to speak up now and organise around it. Yeah, so can you talk more about the feeling that teachers and educators are having about this issue? It can be really challenging calling out these really big companies who have a lot of the money. And and like you said, a lot of schools are excited to bring programs to their students because of the lack of funding that a lot of schools are experiencing at the moment. So, mm. yeah, what's happening in the teacher space? Yeah, it really is a bit of a trap because... You know, you don't want to deny young, like your students, those kinds of opportunities. And it can be hard not to feel like just a naysayer to be opposing a program that appears to be about, yeah, innovation and supporting learning in science, technology, engineering, and maths. And even some of the programs will really, in their language, sort of, you know, say how they're particularly for girls or, yeah, there, there are these other lenses of, um, equality or progression that even more disguises the kind of the harmful agenda. Um, and it's just such a shame that we can't have awesome science technology or there aren't enough science technology, engineering and maths that does also, you know, reserve spots for girls who've like traditionally not been as supported in those subjects. So I think though, particularly with the bipartisan huge investment into these $368 billion submarines and that sense of that commitment to that future almost of industry in Australia. It's teachers are realising that immediately that is there's a strategy of that coming into schools and schools, I think it's also it's an endorsing of it. If public schools are teaching and joining in on these types of competitions, it's kind of it is really normalising it. The kids normalises it for the children, and then also they're connected to their parents and community. And so, the teachers and like the teachers' union, so the AEU importantly have begun speaking out against it. So I'm a member of um, my subbranch at my school, and I'm aware that. We've we've passed motions against specifically this submarine challenge and called for a boycott of it. And then that's also gone to our regional meeting of the inner city. Uh, and just on last week, that was unanimously supported at a regional meeting. And it drew the links to the normalising of a sort of militarised curriculum and 
it was good to have an actual specific boycott to call for because you're right, it does often feel over, overwhelming of how do we take on these partnerships with weapons companies. So I think I think the resistance is growing. Um, there are like federally the AEU have are uh, discussing it and they have internally developed a resolution against um, AUKUS and this agenda. I think we're actually hoping to push them as a union to be more public about it and outspoken. I think it's complicated complicated union machinations, but I think it's really important that the AU, as so many of its members have these concerns and that it shows some sort of leadership in articulating these concerns because it has a strong political force. Um, and as we saw at the recent Labor National Conference, I think some unions were really explicit in opposing this, but um, I don't think the AEU has stepped up to that full sort of campaigning type position yet. So I think those of us who are really concerned in bringing these motions would um, like to see that happen too because that could be quite powerful. Definitely. And so if there are any educators, teachers or people who work in schools who are really concerned about the increased militarization of the curriculum and the involvement of these big weapon companies, where would you suggest that they start in in raising these issues Mm. with their schools or with their uh, union branch? I mean, in terms of self-educating, I think there is this great report, Miners and Missiles, that the Medical Association for, for Prevention of War published in 2021, and that gives a really good background of some of these partnerships, more in the lead up to these, to AUKUS, but gives a sense of the extent of those. And so that's a good resource to share. But I think being a part of the union and then really pushing it through the union channels so the AU is really actively considering at the moment. There are models, model motions that you can bring to your sub-branch because I think it is important that it's discussed from like the grassroots level of the union as well as the leadership. So we have a, a group, Melbourne Educators for Social and Environmental Justice, who are doing some organising on the issue. But I think even through AEU, like now that it is organising on it, um, contacting them and asking about next steps and even asking about, yeah, whether the federal executive has made those announcements. And perhaps also the other would would just be Friends of the Earth is coordinating, stepping in and supporting teachers and coordinating um, some concerned educators who also link up with the campaigns that they're running against nuclear-free issues in general. That was Emma speaking about the actions that educators can take to oppose the increased militarisation of the school curriculum. That's all for Women on the Line today. We would love to hear any comments or thoughts you have about the program, so please send us an email at womenontheline@gmail.com or give us a call at 3CR on 03 9419 That's 03 9419 You can also find us on Instagram, Facebook and Twitter. Women on the Line is a national feminist current affairs program. It's produced and presented by a range of women and gender non-conforming broadcasters from 3CR in Melbourne and broadcast across Australia on the Community Radio Network with funding support from the Community Broadcasting Foundation. The theme music for Women on the Line is by Ripley Kavara. Women on the Line programs can be downloaded from www.3cr.org.au forward slash women on the line.
My name is Fung Tran. Tune in to Women on the Line next week on your community radio station.